In his own small way, Gregor Abartov was a legend. Forty-three years old, nominally second assistant commercial attaché in the Soviet embassy in Washington, an old D.C. fixture who drank with Western newsmen and followed the Redskins, he was in actuality an illegal operative of the GRU, as Red Army Intelligence is called to distinguish it from the swankier, civilian-run and deeply loathed KGB. His undercover job consisted of agent running, and as he had worked it out, this primarily entailed wooing, then seducing, then turning lonely American women who worked in secretarial or clerical positions in the security or military establishment. For example, Molly, the large woman sleeping noisily beside him, was a secretary to a staff assistant of the Senate Select Intelligence Committee. He caught a quick shower. You're a whale, he told himself, and it was true. You need to exercise. Be careful what you eat and drink. He began thinking about the unpleasant day ahead of him. To begin with, the boy genius Klimov, deputy resident, had called a meeting for the morning, and Klimov had lately been unpleasant. Then Gregor had to serve as his most important source, the mysterious pork chop, at a shopping mall out in Maryland, a very tense prospect. Then, far worse, he had communications duty that night, which meant sleeping on a cot in a basement cell, that embassy tradition called the wine cellar, attending equipment machinery in case a hot eyes-only zapped over for Moscow. And then the other thing began gnawing at him. He was now in trouble with the embassy. He was losing his touch. Younger men had been brought in, and they treated him with contempt. Klimov, the awful Klimov, was twenty-eight. With shrewd, furious eyes and the energy to work like a beaver, he had a vastly important uncle who could see that things always came to him. Arbatov hated Klimov almost as much as he feared him. My time, he thought, is almost over. In the shower, Jack Hummel saw a black shape through the steam. The translucent plastic of the curtain suddenly exploded in a clatter of ripping plastic and popping rings. The man stood there in black boots, black combat fatigues, and a black face mask. He had a gun, too, and it was black, an Uzi with about half a yard of silencer hooding its short snout. My children, Jack begged raising a feeble hand against the surrealism of the moment. Oh, God, please don't hurt my children. Come on now, Mr. Hummel. You can't stand there all day. We've got a job for you. You'll have to come along. We'll be leaving some people here with your wife and children. If you do what you're told, no harm at all will come to them. If all goes well, you'll be back by noon. If not... It may be a day or so. But where are we going, Jack asked. To meet the general, Mr. Hummel. 0800 hours. Donny Hepgood had tendencies toward comedy which he could not suppress, even though he made his living amid men who laughed at very little, because there was very little to laugh at. But he couldn't resist. In his infantile scrawl, he had crayoned a large sign on a piece of cardboard, 
and taped it above the heavy steel blast door to the launch control center. Welcome, the sign said, to the Merv, M-I-R-V, Griffin Show. Then, on the console panel itself, above the launch-enabling keyhole, the famous little metal slot which would, if penetrated, set in motion the probable end of the world in fire, he had added on an index card, And here's Merv! The star of the show, Merv, was the multiple independently targeted re-entry vehicle perched at the center of Hapgood's command. The ten Mervs and their second bananas, the W87 Mark 21 35-kiloton fissionable warhead, sat atop a tube of black titanium dubbed, with a sense of humor that Hapgood could only aim for, Peacekeeper. This was more famous in the lexicon as MX.